Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Joanna Bucknell and you are listening to Talking About Immersive Theatre, which is Tate for short. That's T-A-I-T. So here we are with another extra sode about the impact of the coronavirus on the immersive theatre community. Um, this time I am talking to Nat and Joe from the Lab Collective. So again, going to let you get straight at it and I hope you enjoy. So hello, I am here on Zoom uh, in a digital location rather than a physical location. Uh, although that does make it sound like I'm kind of disembodied, which I'm not. I'm actually sat in my mum's attic. <laughs> but I'm here with Nat and Joe uh, from the Lab Collective. Hello. Hello. Hi. <laughs> and uh, I just wanted to chat with you guys about sort of the impact, the immediate impact um, that coronavirus is having on your practice. And then really just kind of blue sky thinking about your hopes, your expectations for what might happen as and when we start to come out of these very unprecedented, strange times. So I'll rewind back and say, so how has this impacted on you kind of in the immediate and what have you had to do to kind of uh, settle yourselves into this lockdown in terms of your practice? I think we had a, we were kind of two workshop sessions in from a total of four. Um, and we kind of run, we run workshops on interactive practice and kind of the nuts and bolts and uh, creation tools that people can use to generate interactive work. Um, and the second one we did was intimacy with strangers. And it was kind of the week before lockdown. Mm. Um, and we were like, oh God, okay, <laughs> we need to think about if people are comfortable with that. So yeah. basically what we did in the session was implemented social distancing without kind of without being told to do so. I think we were super conscious of people's, um, you know, people's reservations. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, obviously we were really clear in going, if this is too much, if, if you don't feel comfortable with this, then that is 100% okay. Um, and Joe, you were primarily leading that session. Mm. How did you find that? I mean, it was interesting because the session was designed to look at touch mm -hmm. and look at contact and look at <laughs> being close and being <laughs> like eye to eye. <laughs> yeah. But what was really interesting about it was that the, the idea of um, space and the idea of focused space and the idea mm -hmm. of what I see in my eyesight so actually what we tried to do is to create darker atmospheres mm -hmm. so that when they were staring at each other, they could literally just see each other, which then created that intimacy. Um, yeah. But it was, it was a very interesting <clears throat> thing because of course this was before official lockdown. Yeah. So it was like, what do you want to do? We've got PPE available if you do want to do something. Um, and it was just actually a very, I think, uh, as putting it before a moment where we have to not be with each other, mm -hmm. it was actually a very poignant session of yeah. we can have real connection with each mm. other before before all of this mm. kicks off in a different direction. Um, I think we, we kind of made the decision then two days later to cancel the remaining workshops. Yeah. Um, and or not to cancel to postpone and we're in the kind of process of reimagining what that postponement looks like in terms of mm -hmm. how do we deliver workshops virtually um so there's kind of one of the biggest things is the uncertainty mm. so you know 
brown paper tickets who's our ticket provider froze all payments out to us for like oh. two months because there was an immediate cancellation of all events so like in terms of like organizationally our cash flow just bombed yeah so manchester university also froze all payments um and we were kind of in this position where our workshops fund our rent they fund um things like our accountancy fees they fund all sorts of things and so that immediate withdrawal of those those funds was really quite shocking mm. also because we were still selling tickets so you know yeah. we'd probably sold only 30 percent but we still had a month's worth of sales to to capture so it was that kind of immediate drying up was very difficult um and you know we've obviously applied for the arts council emergency funds yeah um, but in, in in terms of like our practice as a company our time is now kind of spent exploring digital platforms kind of doing internal training mm. um and obviously we're not really paid for that because everything is frozen but actually as an as an exercise as a learning exercise it's really really useful i think what we've resisted doing is pushing out content without thought mm -hmm. so we immediately notice that the saturation of content coming from the industry um without kind of process um was was really i found quite difficult because for me unless you've got something to say <clears throat> saying anything is as bad as saying nothing yeah um as much as that content is is maybe already thought about may have already been created may have already been prepared the stress levels when you're not making something was huge so actually for us what was really interesting was conversation uh forum groups and uh, talking to other people online and creating those discussions and extra thought was actually something that we've focused on mm. um and trying to figure out i mean everyone's trying to figure out a digital way right everyone's yeah trying to of course out how do we do <laughs> digital play mm. and actually i think there are many apps and forms that um are available services that are available that may not be being used in to its full potential yet mm -hmm. and um I'm interested in sort of, we've been thinking about how do those things collide together? How do mm -hmm. you allow for interaction with say hundreds of people? But off the back of that also, sort of area. off the back of that, I think also sits a conversation which is about kind of safeguarding in digital space. Yeah, because you're bringing something, yeah. especially if you could be, sorry Natalie, no, okay. um, <laughs> bringing in something like, um, I don't know, let's take um, our show, um, the vector show that we've been working on uh, looking at animal research or animals in research um bringing that conversation into someone's home is actually difficult <clears throat> and ethically mm -hmm. and morally it's a question of like yeah. is that okay to bring that conversation into someone's house in which they can't necessarily relieve it from because when we do the show we have those air spaces to be able to kind of Vents off and debrief yeah. after the show. Yeah, I was going to say discussion is, is, in my experience of your work, is always one of the most kind of significant aspects is being able to kind of unpack it, to discuss it, and to sort of roll it around with the other people who've had that experience with you. And that, that's a really important part of that. 
Mm. And um, I'm finding that as well with teaching and now I'm, now I'm being asked exactly that, how deliver, deliver drama uh, digitally. And there's, there's things I think that aren't necessarily being thought about of, of you know, well, do I do that from my living room, my, from, from my personal space? Do I open that up to all students, which I wouldn't normally bring them into my home? in that way and they're in their homes often in their bedrooms because they they live with parents um or they live with other people it's like i'm in their space and there's no kind of separation and of course especially for art for what we do the liminal space of what we do is so central i think and the digital weirdly removes that Mm. and i I think yeah there's a lot of things that need to be sort of thought about or worked through and i think like bringing bringing work into people's homes is definitely one of them but also that kind of moderating moderating space and kind of safeguarding people against kind of unwanted content that might mm. be eloped into your performance yeah um as well as like joe like you guys were saying the the, the sort of debriefing and dis- discussion elements um <clears throat> and i think like what's really difficult is you know a lot of this work it relies on generating world yeah and it's very difficult to generate world when you are very clearly located in in your bedroom Mm. Um, and so I think you know there is there is going to I I feel that there is probably going to be quite a lot of exploration of VR and collective experience however again it's kind of one of the challenges with this is access and people's access to technology and people's access to the internet and yeah. to smartphones and to laptops and multiple mm. devices and also like strength of those laptops and those devices yeah you know like um streaming or gaming in general you know you has been at, especially on com- computer-based stuff and so non-console based which is kind of what we're talking about because it's going to have to be laptop based or yeah or other <coughs> is that you need huge, really expensive um, graphics cards and things like this in order for, yeah. for to be able to run those types of experiences. Um, how do you do a VR over, like stream that over the internet, which people can then view and actually be part of and have it to a quality in which would be the similar if it was in real world? Mm. Yeah. You know, same with music. So there are some services that are allowing you to put music across. Um, but there becomes a big issue of quality, of of lag, of all of these things, mm-hmm. which sounds like it sounds like very minimal idea to think about. But actually, that is a huge has a huge impact on the world mm-hmm. that you're trying to make. Yeah. And it's yeah. even if you do try down a more visual route, there are huge problems that go alongside mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. You have to have those skills to begin with to be able to do that. Oh, my concern across the board, whether live or not, is is accessibility. Yeah. Yes. Um, and people's ability to access work, and you know, the big part of Arts Council's Let's Create strategy, which is what we were responding to as part of our emergency funds application, um, was you know how how will your work contribute to that? Um, but of course most artists are considering working in digital platforms their strategy is all about inclusion and community and Mm -hmm. reaching hard to reach people and helping facilitate them into generating work themselves and you know for a lot of the people they want to reach 
exclusively digital practice unless there's some <clears throat> by some miracle everyone has high bandwidth <laughs> very fast internet yeah you know, is unlikely to reach those demographics so i think like yeah that there's a big there's a huge kind of barrier to a lot of people engaging with this and part of me wonders if actually instead of embracing full innovation in technology we actually need to dial back and simplify to encourage access yeah and at the same time innovate mm. elsewhere because i think you know scaling i mean the our original idea for our arts council application was actually about creating an hour-long audio um piece which is designed for people who may have anxiety going outside now mm -hmm. so it's an hour-long walk around your local area um with kind of mindfulness practice rolled into narrative mm -hmm. um perhaps with people who are isolating alone or people who might be finding it very difficult to leave the house yeah um and <clears throat> i think in terms of timing we decided it wasn't quite right because by the time we made that output lockdown might have ended yeah but i think there is something about simplicity <clears throat> and returning to simplicity of form yeah, and what interaction actually looks like whether it's an audience interacting with their surroundings as opposed to interacting with you mm -hmm. may be a way of sort of mitigating some of the real challenges like stripping it back like what is it people want often they want story and feeling and tenderness and care mm -hmm. especially now and perhaps that needs to be reflected in in a somewhat more simple approach so yeah. there's there's two very kind of different thoughts that we're having which is you know one about sort of stripping it down creating access making things that are meaningful and rich and interactions based on people's interactions with space and other things mm -hmm. um, as opposed to the very kind of you know innovative practice that sits around how do we use advanced technological platforms to generate mm. game and interesting material and yeah. those two things seemingly are at odds but actually i think i think they need to be because not everyone can have mm. everything it's also i think um you know we we're obsessed a little bit because of zoom and and hangouts and things that's like really obsessed with the video yeah and obsessed with maybe with the audio i mean i know some practitioners are looking back into text-based adventure mm which I think is quite interesting of an idea um, of creating something that you can play over days and live in a story. Um, also, I think that there's, there's something, I mean, you know me, I, you know me, I hark on about Dungeons and Dragons all the time, but um, you know, there is a big thing there that this, that the Dungeons and Dragons community have and the RPG community have reveled at this time. Yeah, I was going to say. The online play, has been huge um and i think that's something maybe we can learn from is like mm -hmm. if we can find a simple platform to play on then mm. we can have interactions but that's very small yeah that's a very like four to five four to six players at a time so it's like it's, a, it's an interesting thing about story about long term about text about engagement maybe on something that isn't so technologically driven but, also, but still relies on mass communication there is mm -hmm. also a drive towards the analog which is you know kind of being sent things in the post mm. um, you know 
instruction-based work that's very simple that is an email or a letter um you know and i think those things or are really hyper, or hyper localized yeah or hyper local yeah. so you can place things around the local area but then yeah. and how does that engage in your local community but i also think you know again it it kind of sits one of the tensions that sits with there is that that work has always largely been relatively unsustainable because of the kind yeah. of reach that it, it has which is very narrow or, <clears throat> or very small and again the tension between what funders expect and what you can <clears throat> deliver for that and the kind of reach that you can have with that you know there kind of sits i think there's a big tension between that although it is a much more accessible way of working in this context right now yes um yeah. and so i think there's there's lots of questions which I'm sure we'll start emerging in the coming months around what is actually realistic, pragmatic and deliverable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and how can we focus in on developing a practice that, you know, for the next 18 months to two years will have to become a norm. Yes. And I think it's that, isn't it? It's finding a kind of a, a new, a new normal working within the parameters that, well, hopefully they're going to announce this afternoon this afternoon <laughs> that is my hope because yeah, yeah. uh that's what's meant to be happening today maybe we'll find out uh what's going to be going on that which will be good but, but um, i also, think oh go sorry on. no go on joe i was gonna say about that about um advice versus need and uh worries and concerns like are our audiences want gonna want to get back into a space so quickly like uh, our, let's say, a 20-person experience then has to change down to a six-person experience. And we don't know if those audiences are even going to want to be in a small room mm -hmm. with a performer. How do we safeguard the performer inside those spaces? So it's actually like a much larger than the government's advice. It mm. becomes about, is yeah. the, will the audience even want to come to be in a space like that? Yeah. I mean, there's a really interesting post by Phil Wilmot, who is a contributor to the stage. Um, and I don't think it's being published in the it's stage. It's not being yes. published in the stage. They didn't want to publish it. But it, he has released it on Facebook and Twitter, which is a very bleak look at the harsh realities um, about post-COVID theatre. So he explores the idea that there will probably be no venues. There's unlikely to be an audience. Panto this year is probably going to be cancelled. There's no government funding for theatre because ACE have released all of their project grant funds. They've held back a very small portion of project grant yeah. funds for the coming year. And there'll be no reviews or arts coverage in, in the press. Um, so there, there is quite a bleak, he has a very kind of bleak look at a possibility, which is, which is speculative. And I think all of these yeah. things are speculative. And so I think a lot of the very doom focused narratives, <clears throat> A, are speculative, but B, are important because, you know, there is a new reality. And I think people don't necessarily want to embrace that right now. Yeah. Um, and I think there will be a lot of hardship and heartache around like organisations and companies who push back against changing their practice to sit with and that's a new normal i think that's what i'm talking about as well is this idea that you may not may have to redesign your practice around 
these new needs and being able to go fine we have to make a piece that is not so um tactile in yeah or squashed in like maybe our 300 person experience needs to go down um how does that change but then the question becomes how does that change ticket prices how does that change accessibility how does that change yes like especially things like you're talking earlier about bertie i mean yeah look at the bertie and collab i mean they they've championed the small space immersive like show and, um, and it'd be interesting to see what what they and parabolic do with that kind of small space yeah uh, again um, with and looking at things like process. secret cinema as well you know their model relies on on thousands of people in and through the door and it's not sustainable to do with smaller numbers in the way that they currently do it so i think there are going to have to be huge shifts in considerations but my concern is that with things like that what will happen is potentially ticket price will will reflect that and then what will happen is it will become unaccessible even more yeah. so than it is and at the moment that's what I kind of mean when I think about like rolling back time a little bit to a time when actually we didn't see much diversity represented on stage. We still don't in any way as, as near as much as we need to, but you know, we're, we're kind of cutting those opportunities off again and again for those diverse communities. Mm. And I, I worry that that, that rolling back um, will be really detrimental to future future artists and makers but also that you know once we've transitioned into this the likelihood is that creating work on digital platforms is a probably cheaper mm-hmm. b requires less people yeah um, and c less physical resource and travel and therefore in some ways i'm a little bit worried that we will be once we arrive there that we will stay there yeah and that live experience becomes something for really for the privileged yes in a way that right now you know there are opportunities for for different groups of people to see things yeah and i I really my my deep concern is that yeah once we've arrived in that place that we become fixed there it's like because you we were talking about um this is a quite a dark conversation so my apologies here we were talking about um yeah we were talking about passports immunity passports oh yeah and like could you imagine going to say secret cinema and then having to scan in your passport and actually who is in that queue and who has access to that passport who's allowed to have that passport who's bought that passport who's yeah uh, who has been sick who's not been sick like it's insane to think that we'd have to pass into a world like I've got, I've got Blade Runner in my head and that was already very paper. And obviously because that's the whole point of it's being like checked and checked and checked. But like, imagine putting that other level on Mm. and it's like, you will, it will just completely, it doesn't matter about really about the ticket price. It would decimate the kind of the types of people that you are even going to attract to your, yeah to your piece mm. and i yeah i think there is there is some concerning things that are out there in the press but again because everything is so speculative mm. it's very difficult to um it's very difficult to take anything seriously and yeah. i think you know <laughs> that is one of the things that when there's this huge range of opinion that sits around what will it look like um it's a very fractured and fractious conversation because actually there is no clear steer from anyone. And no. I think what we get is like loads and loads of really, you know, disparate content 
and it you know i think the industry will do the thing that it always does which is wait for the next big thing yeah and then you know when that next big thing happens everyone will try and recreate it in different ways and with different content um but you know i think that with no clear steer from anyone including government bodies like the arts council the british council mm. artists are very much untethered which can create an environment of freedom mm -hmm. in a lot of ways um but it can also feel slightly rudderless because there's no there's no you know the target is continually moving mm -hmm. um and so yeah i think we could end up with a with a load of nothing um <laughs> yeah <laughs> and a couple of bits of something um be while we search for a model which i suppose is is normal but yeah you know, the experimentation it lands in a pool that's so vast um online that being able to locate the things that are interesting and locate the things that are you know can contribute to something a bit wider feels a bit impossible yeah it takes it takes a lot of searching uh, uh and kind of know how in a way doesn't it to find to find things and immersive has always been a little bit like that anyway you have to kind of know and be in the know and know where to find that information but i worry that that's going to become even more challenging as as you said as as it kind of drops into this pool that is the internet which is mm -hmm. a vast vast space and i and felt um and i don't know if you guys have felt this too but this i, I keep saying to myself oh my god you do one-on-one -on -one, your practice is so kind of ideal to be developed in this situation but i find myself kind of sort of oddly paralyzed really by that sort of pressure which isn't real in some ways of kind of going you should really respond you should make something you should do something <laughs> but kind of resisting that as well because i'm going I, I i just can't quite get my head around yet how i how i generate intimacy how i reach out how i share and reframe social spaces with people when we only the only social spaces we have at the moment are, are accessible with other people between this kind of screen and people in small boxes <laughs> and yeah, yeah and so i had this weird tension of i don't want to just throw something out there but i feel this weird pressure to to respond in a mm. way and also the fact that one-on-ones in this context aren't novel because no. the way we communicate with everybody is via a screen and Indeed. so you know the, the, the novelness of a one-on-one -on -one experience is often that you're meeting a single person in the flesh with a huge element of the unknown the mm. risk of like being alone with somebody and the unknown of that and the kind of delightful tension that that creates yeah, is I'm is seeing. non-existent on a screen because that literally is how we talk to everyone now yes. as you say it is that thing of the one-on-one -on -one is about the um the the uniqueness of being in a space and being maybe vulnerable with somebody who's a stranger mm. especially in a big city yeah you can't mute you can't mute yeah or, or turn off. Mute or switch off you know <laughs> yeah. yeah the 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 liveness of going okay if i don't want to be in this situation or or i'm a bit nervous there is an opportunity for the performer to to read that and to adapt safeguard and adapt their content and to yeah. do all of those things which are so wonderful in a one-on-one -on -one. whereas when it's something that you can just turn off mm. um, the stakes or the power in that in that in that dialogue shifts immeasurably yes 
so yeah I think you know in terms of one-on-one yes I think there is loads of room to develop practice but I also think that how that practice is developed based on this power shift Mm. uh, and the everydayness now of talking to strangers on on -on (laughs) one-on-one yeah in a one-on-one context kind of um it, it changes the experience yeah is yeah. it i mean it's i mean i can just it's also trying to think about creating something in as you say in that kind of stress or, anx- or anxiety of needing to push out mm. is quite is quite difficult i mean is there something to do with um like public spaces but socially distanced yeah like it's yeah. a really and that's an area that we haven't looked at yet mm. Well, I did this we thing. We haven't been allowed to sit down on a bench yet. You know? No. Well, I did this thing because at my mum's house has this, uh, it's a chalet bungalow. So the upstairs has like this balcony with big patio uh, windows. And so in this village, and I know that other people were doing it. So the rainbow thing kind of started. And um, so I decided, I, don't, I just, I wanted to do something with my hands very early on. So I drew an enormous rainbow. Uh, onto the window I painted it directly onto the window and um turns out lots of they've got like a the village has a little Facebook page and all of that and um I found out the other day uh people have been coming on their walks past the houses that have exciting things to look at and we're the last on the route because we have the giant rainbow (laughs) people stand and talk to us from the fence everyone waves at me and I don't live here like permanently (laughs) so and so all these discussions and then I did a sun because they said next week we're going to do suns. Then they said Easter scene. So like the living room window's got like a tree with bunnies and eggs. And, and so I just started kind of, and that just sort of grew out of me realizing that other people were potentially getting joy kind of just from having, having a giant rainbow in the window. <laughs> having yeah. something to look at, which isn't the inside of their walls. Yeah. yeah. Or familiar within their local area. And I've had these lovely um, sort of, distance discussions but sometimes even just looks or waves um for people who've been coming to look at the window while i've been outside kind of sat on the porch or whatever and it's they've been really lovely moments that were created by something that was sort of incidental in a way and everyone's putting up rainbows in their windows but because we'd for some reason painted it onto the window that became a, a kind of exciting thing to come and look at it will wash on we went to our friends uh, we walked up to our friends and had a, a socially distanced chat in the garden but across the road from them somebody had made a neon oh, yeah. sign cool. and like bent it and formed this whole nhs rainbow rainbow oh, and, wow. like, and it was really impressive and it's and also like this street art that is growing is huge. I mean, we mm. in Lewisham, we've got quite a lot of now famous pieces because they're getting onto the Guardian and things like this. Mm-hmm. But like that idea of public art is growing mm. quite exponentially. But also, will we see a revival of installation mm-hmm. um, that is not that could be, but not, is not necessarily tactile or in some way interactive? I think. Mm. Um, you know, I think given our kind of lockdown conditions and speculation about, you know, this might be a repeated thing, you know, at different times in the year. Yeah. Um, depending on, on how the virus and retreats and comes back and retreats and comes back and the vaccine, all of this. So I think, you know, there is scope for 
yeah, a kind of inst like a revival of installation work that's public facing and even you know, privately facing as in, yeah. in people's gardens, in people's windows, you know, if in the winter there is another, there is another lockdown moment, I can see people doing Harrods displays, you know, yeah. in there. Yeah. In their and I think that there is, it, it's how does that then unify into something mm. like you were saying you know about it being a tour um in your local area i think there can be you know it's how it could that become curated and and engaged mm. with in kind of a meaningful way yeah. where the dots are a bit more joined up and there's a narrative to extract so i think there's lots of really exciting opportunities but i i think that my main concern is that like i was saying that once we arrive at somewhere that because of the financial benefits to funding bodies mm. that sort of our cultural exploration becomes limited by it and I yeah I think that's my main my big worry is mm -hmm. like we go forward now not with the aim of going back yeah I think it's a real moment and, and lots of people have been talking about this on various other podcasts I listen to and on the news and there is the possibility in the moment for real change coming out of something like this to the way that we live our lives, to the way that we do lots of different things in practice. But part of me, the cynical part of me thinks, I suspect within, within a very short period of time, once things maybe normalise a bit more, I think things, people will go back to what they usually do. I'm not sure businesses will get rid of their, I know a lot of people are sort of speculating that saying maybe large businesses will not get their offices back and everyone will work from home. It'd be more flexible. And um, mm. I'm, I'm skeptical about mm. how much of that might happen because of, and I mean, because of finances. <laughs> I mean, I think it is really interesting. You know, my sister works for a very large company in Manchester and, you know, they're putting out feelers to their staff about like, do you want to just work from home from now on? Do you want this to become the new normal? Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, you know, they're like, well, yes, because their commuting time is the equivalent of a full day's work a week. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think the lot like larger companies, more corporate companies mm. will embrace this. But also, yeah. To the, reduce their costs. The white, yeah. white collar. Yeah. Is the, anywhere like white white collar is fine we can do that but what about those working people that need to be in a physical space and that's yeah. the kind of place that i'm more concerned mm. about is actually this force being told and forced forced to go and and go to work mm -hmm. um, and but and yes of course we can all work from home but actually the even that in itself is creating an over like an overclass again and it's like yeah this is why our work is i think the interactive work is so important to get it out maybe a little bit more out of the digital and into those as we spoke about before and you're still talking about mm. installation yeah of being able to get it out to communities, to communities for in non-space in yeah. like public yeah. non-space and be able to kind of make it accessible as much as possible um yeah, I am seriously concerned about this idea of some people being able to live their lives one way and others having to live their lives another in a much more extreme way than it already is. Mm, yeah. Um, and I've always got hopes that people will come out the other end of this and be different. But I have a huge fear, as you do, is that it yeah. actually will fall into a much 
like darker second third eighth wave of capitalism uh they all just create a huge huge competition i'm kind of thinking about workers you know performer as worker performer yeah. as crew as worker crew as worker backstage yeah. people as worker i think there is enormous anxiety that sits within you know around performer safeguarding and around kind of you know even if theatres do reopen how can performers socially distance in a show yeah it's very it's very difficult and so we went yeah we went to see a show at vaults which caused kind of huge anxiety around kind of being in that space so so close quarters in a venue which is damp and a bit grim um and it was a great show but within a week 90 percent of the cast had contracted what looked like covid and you know kind of i do think that safeguarding performers is very challenging in these in, in this instance Chall safeguarding anyone backstage everywhere but also the kind of again it because groups of our society are more susceptible to it than others it really limits then the num the kind of faces that we see on stage whether that's age or bame or you know, vulnerable people, neurodivergent people with disabilities, people who yeah. are vulnerable in other ways, you know. And again, are we just will we just see the same old white faces, yeah, or young white faces represented on our stages? And I, I think it's a real cause for concern, which is why I think the reemergence of live performance has to be done with real care. Yeah. and consideration and thought and if we cannot if we cannot represent our society mm. on stage should we be staging things right now yeah. and yeah. in the it coming be, months it can't be a return to survival of the fittest and the competition artist which is what we kind of are sitting in already yeah like, you've got to do away with that idea and that concept um and we have to come back to maybe a more unified messaging unified ways of working but whether that's the reality or not again is yeah you know i'm pretty skeptical about that and it's how it's going to happen because i think in some ways the the appetite for contact and for shared experience isn't going to go away and i think is going to grow but it's how we manage that isn't it, it, it with social distancing and potentially for a long time um mm. early on i didn't think that would be the case but it is definitely looking more and more like this is going to be with us for a significant amount of time. But um, I think people will be craving intimacy and contact when we can have access to some mm -hmm. of those things. But it's exactly like you're saying, how, how do we do that safely and sustainably as well? Because, of course, less numbers always is, is the problem. And it's a problem with all of our funding structures as well right now. And also what content do people want? So like you were mm. saying, people, you know, craving intimacy, craving contact and catharsis. You know, a big um, conversation that we've been having with other practitioners is, is very divided on that. So some people are very much along the line of people will want hedonistic, pure entertainment. People mm -hmm. will want to come together and just fucking go wild. Um, whereas there's a kind of another school of thought that sits around intimacy and contact and vulnerability and catharsis and collective experience of, coming out of this absolutely bizarre once in a lifetime sort of experience and i think there's been some parallels drawn to 
you know, the Spanish flu pan- pandemic yes. and then the emergence of the roaring twenties, yes. you know, so that kind of, you know, the world war has finished, the pandemic has happened. They've had two waves and people release into this sort of hedonism, which is needed, but also damaging. Very and, destructive. Yeah. And, ex- well, and a, and a, and also not a processing of tra- of collective trauma. It, but you yeah. do then at the same point at that moment have the emergencies emerging diseases of um, <laughs> of more complex art forms and different art forms. Yeah, the historical avant garde, you know, was was yeah. born in that moment, and German yeah. expressionism and all of those they sorts of things about film in general. Like, yeah, off into a medium that actually can be expressed through yeah um and so it's it's it is and even if you look at like you know jazz pop of that area that then moves into other forms mm. from that point onwards mm-hmm. so it's it, there is yes that sense of one thing but there is also the counter that comes but i wonder like if we're going to see a replication of that pattern mm. and i think our form is very well placed to cater to those to both, both of, those of those things, things yeah <laughs> um, but in terms of like safety mm-hmm. um you know that again is a huge consideration but I, I do feel that there will be this split a split in content and be a a replication of that moment where you you have really headness kind of you know kind of quite bougie moulin rougey yeah <laughs> Kind of moment, and I mean, then people loved other... that before, didn't they? Anyway, I mean, there's of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. And then on the other side of that, you you know have that much more tempered, experimental, relieving diversity of art forms. Yeah. And I, I I don't I'm not against that in any way. I think it's quite I think it could be quite interesting, but I think it can also be interesting to see how we can straddle those things. Mm. But also mm-hmm. like, as well like the the strengthening of the definition of that style. So actually going, you know what, well, you know, I'm a I'm an intimate immersive uh, audience fan. That's kind of what I like to go, like to go see. Or like, oh, no, I really like the big, the big hedonistic uh, immersive scene, you know. And actually, being able to define that might actually be able us to identify our audiences better yes. and come through with a difference of performance. I agree. I think like strengthening how we describe and what purpose and what audience expectations are for this form, it could be a really strong moment to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think so long as it's not met with fear because yes. that ultimately is the destruction of experience right is fear because yeah. it makes people behave in ways that can be destructive mm-hmm. and also it's the antithesis of vulnerability yeah um and so yeah i i think like so long as we can generate these experiences that are not met with fear audiences can have really valuable rich and exciting um moments but i think we're maybe 18 months to two years away from that yeah i agree and uh, do you think as well because one of the things is is it's always finances isn't it it's always financials are our financial structures funding structures robust enough and agile enough to adapt to some of the things that social distancing is going to going to disrupt some of those models i think for the no. finances 
no i mean it's also i mean a big a big part of our arts council is the idea of of how many heads how many people have you affected oh that sounds really weird when there's conversation effectively <laughs> um how many people has, has your art form been accessible to um yeah. and i think that's an interesting thing considering you may have to cut down numbers or cut down the size of something most small theatres who have to operate at 60 percent of capacity will die yeah. and the government does not seem to have any instinct towards supporting culture in the way that other countries has and so the arts council you know yes great they've released this funding but it is unsustainable for them to continue to do that and to you know try and save organizations because this is such a long-term thing you know they want this they want their funding delivered in six months mm -hmm. and it actually feels what it feels like is a a process of elimination really yeah. you get past the first six months and you need to have something that you can sell and become sustainable by because the next round of funding for project grants will not be open until april 2021 and who knows what that will look mm. like so i don't think yeah. we are i don't think our um funding bodies are agile in any way and i don't think you know i don't think they are going to be able to respond consistently um because i don't think the government values culture as part of society in a way that is um in a way that is forward thinking or risk-taking Mm. And although that is part of Arts Council strategy, yeah, of with the limitation of funds right now, I don't think they're really mm. game for it. I mean, if they can't be appropriately supported by the government, then why? You know, they're, they're, they're turning into a service provider. Yes, they're trying they are. to fill gaps in education and in healthcare. So part of their strategy is you teaming up with museums and schools and libraries and other places that are being starved of culture. Mm -hmm. And so real risk-taking work can't be met under those conditions. No. Because it sits at odds, you know? Yeah. If you're doing some experimental weird shit, then the likelihood is, is that 12-year-olds in school aren't going to really be able to understand or access that. Yeah. And so there's a real divide between, we want work that's risk-taking, innovative and international, but also it needs to connect with communities in a really integrated and participatory way and those mm. things are, takes years to develop yeah societal tastes mm. and we can't do it in six months and they want you to do it in six months it's just it's, it's just something to about and evidence it too <laughs> yeah, yeah and evidence it, to about evidence it in, in a meaningful way <laughs> and it's like even going further than that have you said about the government don't seem to value culture it's also does landowners um and building owners value the culture as well. So are we looking to a point in which they may all have a contract, hopefully they, some venues have lower rent or subsidized renting ideas of their, of their buildings and of their land that they're, that they're on. But if we can, if the landowner stops considering the culture as being important, then we've also got an issue there. And that's, yeah where i'm more worried about is the idea of space and of venue and well of enough venues as well. moving away from a for-profit model yeah a lot of development a lot of developers you know they engage with they engage with makers in this kind of well, form um 
because they see it as cash cow. So and cool. and they go, oh, it's our corporate social responsibility. So we'll give you discounted rates, but it's still extraordinarily high mm-hmm. for most makers. And so, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of vacant properties soon as businesses start mm-hmm. to, to, you know, unfortunately you lose well have to declare bankruptcy or they decide to close their doors um and so i i they're going to try and make money off it in a different way and i think mm-hmm. it's a shame that there can't be that sort of embracing of if it is not being used and is vacant and you haven't found a commercial let yeah don't find a commercial let for its interim life mm. yeah people love the fact that secret cinema you know Developers love it because they can they can afford to pay those rates. Yeah, um, and, and this is what and we got see it in... as a cash cow throughout the industry. But I, I think it's going to have to change, or we'll just have loads of properties sitting vacant and possible yeah. resurgence of squat art, which yeah. would be yeah. great. <laughs> and there's no money in it. And this is what we had in the, the early 2010s and 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 the mid 2010s of like being able to get hold of shop funds from councils, being able to kind of get hold of you know big shopping centers in Bradford um you know you could you could get hold of these things yes with a lot of work and a lot of negotiation but you could get hold of these things and that resource is disappearing and now it is seen as a funding stream for the landowner rather than Mm -hmm. a use for the local area yeah yeah I agree so what do you guys obviously you might not be able to test say too much but what are you kind of working on at the moment are you working on anything what are your kind of immediate plans or or are you literally like everyone else sat waiting for what on earth is said today at four (laughs) o'clock so we are um we've applied for this arts council bid which is about there's kind of there's two strands for it one is like internal training on digital platforms and the delivery of, of workshops that um, in an online forum, which will also impart the knowledge that we've learned about engaging in digital platforms. Yeah. Um, and the second part is about generating a dialogue between um, makers in our industry and organisations from a range of different backgrounds um, to talk about like getting back on the horse. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? And also, can we unify to discuss ethics and safeguarding and what that yeah. looks like in this new context um the set so it's the idea is that it's like three three sessions the first of which is getting back on the horse the second of which is reaching out to audiences so creating a forum for interactive and immersive audiences to engage with us about what mm-hmm. they're okay with and what they want and what yeah. their considerations are and what they're thinking about and the third of which is funding and sustainability. Mm. So the idea is that, you know, there's practitioners that will come and engage with this forum who will be paid to do so. will then generate a report that can be shared more widely within the industry. Yeah. In the hope, as we said, to kind of create that more unified communicate like voice yeah. of what, what yes. or how we want to support not only each other, but support the art form and the industries. And skill share and, and consider like what could a working model look like that that is perhaps a little bit more universal mm-hmm. um so that is the kind of arts council application if that doesn't go ahead if they say no to us which in all likelihood they will um then <laughs> i think we would look at um doing our workshops anyway repaying 
people who've booked on, say refunding their money um, and reducing costs. So we still have a series of online workshops that are vastly reducing costs. Um, and we're kind of very much researching at yeah. the moment. A lot of research. Mm -hmm. A lot of research. And kind of just mulling over. I think, you know, like you say, there is more people have more availability and a bit more time. And I think for us, we're using the time not to deliver. We're using the time to consider mm -hmm. and and take time and not rush into generating content for content's sake. But really, really thinking quite hard about what it is that people might want what do we want and very slowly creating a process that sits alongside that mm -hmm. um so that's kind of our main work at the moment is not is not to panic and rush out content yeah. but to really think hard about something that can also be long lasting so that mm -hmm. isn't like a we've responded right now and it stays in the right now but actually mm -hmm. it has a bit more reach into future months and could provide a more sustainable working model in terms of putting content out there that is that you can pay a minimal amount for but mm -hmm. which is permanent and yeah. pre-recorded yeah um as well as stuff that perhaps is more gaming focused and collectively focused with more technology um we also have like a board meeting coming up in a couple of weeks so a lot of our output will depend on that and depend on reworking a business model uh, and of course we're still developing um vector yes still developing vector so with uh nexus um and the welcome trust um sort of creating this again it's very much more digital idea so trying to create the app an app-based experience Mm -hmm. um, that people can look at the ethical choices and the ethical considerations of animals, and, animals medical research. and medical research. But again, because of the context of that show, we're having to re rejig like uh, the content of that show as well because it mm -hmm. was set in a global pandemic. So we needed to kind of yeah. And, and the show is two years old. Two years old. As in, like we started developing it in 2018. Yeah. So yeah. I think, like you know, the live version of that our timeline has shifted it won't mm. be until 2021 that we come, <clears throat> we, we come out with our live version again um so we are we're still working on that project um but yeah it's it's very much live in terms of the adaptations that we're having to make um so yeah we're still in this very uncertain position which is mm -hmm. fine but yeah we're, we're thinking of the pathways and just just take your time take your time take i like that time. consider yeah time to consider time to consider and what's the best way um for people to find out how everything is moving forward is it the website twitter facebook where where are you kind of updating most regularly um so we i'm updating our website at the moment a little bit mm -hmm. but because no decisions have been are firmly made yet yeah and we're not pushing out content what we're our, our presence is just there on twitter on facebook but those yeah. are the places to look twitter and facebook so as things become firm and decided and content gets released those will be the platforms at lab collective <laughs> that's our twitter handle oh, we're being uh, joined by a noisy monster um 
Let me just pause the recording for a second. Okay, so uh, we just had a little pause there um, for baby bum change. <laughs> this is the thing, isn't it, about working from home, is uh, sharing spaces with all kinds of things. Um, so we were just saying, just to sort of wrap up really, the best way for people to sort of just keep keep an eye on, on what you're doing so that as stuff develops, um, people, people know what you're doing, basically. So where's the best place for people to see that? Uh, so the best place for people to see updates is probably on our Twitter account at Lab Collective or on our Facebook page um, or you can visit our website labcollective.co.uk um, all of those things will be updating as um, things firm up and we have clear decisions on what we'll be releasing. Mm -hmm. Excellent well thank you so much uh, for taking some time out to chat to me about what's kind of a, a difficult subject at the moment but it's, it's always nice to um, to see familiar faces and to have a nice chat with you guys so yeah, thank you very much no <laughs> and I'm sure that we will be chatting again soon hopefully Absolutely. So thank you take care of yourselves thank you, you bye, bye. I hope you enjoyed that episode and uh, found it interesting and insightful. Again, um, as I talk to practitioners and makers over the next week or so, I'll get those episodes out to you as quickly as I possibly can. And I'm in the process of editing the episodes that were recorded before I um, went on my sabbatical in 2018. So I'm hoping to bring those to you over the next couple of weeks, uh, months maybe, depending on, on what the government announce um, later on today, actually. Uh, it's Thursday. Um, we're at the point where the government are going to be announcing plans. So I should have a better idea of, of where I'm going to be, what I'm going to be doing and the, um, the pulls on my time, which is the most significant thing in being able to get these out to you. But until next time, keep your ears open and uh, more to come.